Did you know that the majority of adults believe an estate plan is important? However, only one-third have actually created one. Estate plan documents can help guide your family members and loved ones understand and carry out your care and end-of-life wishes. Most importantly, they may help to reduce the family burden and stress that can be caused during a crisis. Hello everyone, I'm Cheryl Mejal and welcome to My Care Advisors. In this episode, The Importance of Estate Planning, we are joined by Donald M. Lewinsky III. He's the owner of Care Patrol Buffalo, Niagara, Rochester, and Syracuse. He is also a certified peer recovery specialist and an attorney who focuses on estate planning. Nothing presented today should be construed to be legal advice, and you are encouraged to seek legal advice from attorneys and other professionals in your state. Well, welcome, Don. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm really happy to be here. Don, what is an estate plan and why is it important to have in place, especially for older adults? So estate planning is such an important thing. And it's it's frankly, it's a topic that many people understandably want to avoid, um, partially because it's talking about either being in a very unfortunate or difficult life situation um, or planning for the end of life. And, and everybody knows those are not fun conversations to have. But the most basic way to think of estate planning is it's a process of anticipating and arranging for the management and disposal of a person's estate, both during their life in preparation for a possible future uh, event or incapacity, and after the person's life in preparation for their passing. Um, This planning can include a multitude of things, such as thinking about what assets you want to leave to which heirs or loved ones, or possibly donating to a charity. Uh, It includes thinking about how to minimize taxes uh, after your death, especially if you are a wealthier individual or you own businesses. It also thinks about things that happen during your lifetime. If you suffer a tragic accident or a fall and you're no longer able to make decisions on your own or take care of yourself, how to plan for those uncertainties to make sure that your loved ones are acting in accordance with your wishes. The ultimate goal of estate planning, I think, can only be determined by the specific goals of that person and may be as simple or as complex as that person wants uh, or their needs might direct. While estate planning can be an incredibly difficult and emotional conversation to have, because as I said earlier, it is anticipating end of life and or a future inability to make your own decisions, it is critical to have one because it's the only way to ensure that your wishes are met the way you want. Without a proper estate plan, if something happens, sadly, it could lead to your family members going to court to fight about what they think you wanted, which ultimately is what they want. Or worse, it could lead to the courts and or the state you live in becoming involved and determining ultimately what happens to you, which frankly may not be what you really wanted to have happen. Don, thank you for sharing this information. It sounds like it's just so critical to have that estate plan in place. And you were mentioning just there's um, other documents. So what are typical documents that make up that basic estate plan? There's an estate plan, as I mentioned earlier, can be as simple or as complex as you may need it to be. That could depend on your financial situation. You know, if you're a 
a single parent and you have a W-2 job and you own a home and you have two children and you want to split everything with them, that could be a pretty simple plan. If you have six children and own six businesses and you want to split them up between different kids, that obviously becomes a much more complex plan. But in terms of thinking of the most sort of basic estate plan, or if you're at home thinking, well, I should have an estate plan, what do I really need to have? The four documents we're going to talk about today are wills, powers of attorney, healthcare proxies, and living wills. Now, every state has other documents that may be considered to be part of a normal estate plan. But in my opinion, sort thinking of this sort of generally, these are the four most important documents you want to think about. Taking these one at a time, um, looking at wills. Wills are, in my opinion, the simplest device for planning the distribution of your estate when you pass. So the way to think of a will is this is a document that comes into play after you pass. And the person who's creating it, so if you were drafting a will, you would be known as the testator. And the people that are getting your property are known as beneficiaries. And the will essentially outlines what your wishes are and how your property should be distributed at your passing. You're also going to name in a will what's called an executor. And that's the person that's going to help administer your estate. So it's important that when creating a will, you work with local counsel or counsel in your area that are going to make sure they comply with the laws of your state in drafting a will. To make things difficult, of course, every state has different will requirements. So it's really important when thinking about a will that you're consulting with a good attorney to ensure that it's being drafted and done in accordance with your state law. The other important thing to remember about a will is that it can be revoked or changed anytime. I think that scares a lot of people when they prepare a will that somebody may pass that's in their will. A will can be changed at any time for any reason. Um, so you shouldn't let that fear prevent you from drafting a will. The second document that I think it's important for you to think about is a power of attorney. This is a really important document, but unlike a will, this is in effect while you're alive. So if you remember, a will comes into effect after you pass, a power of attorney is only valid while you're alive. And what this document does is this allows you to select another individual, usually a family member, could be a spouse, a child, a niece or a nephew, or, or a close friend if you wanted, that's going to help you manage your finances, property, and personal affairs. So the person that's drafting the power of attorney is known as the principal, and the person acting on their behalf is known as their agent. So this document really comes into play if you suffer some sort of unexpected traumatic accident um, or other unexpected illness that prevents you from managing your finances, your property, your taxes, your insurance. So it's very important to have this document because you never know what's going to happen. And we'll talk later some, some scenarios where folks that didn't have these documents in place and what ended up happening to them because of that. The other important thing to remember on a power of attorney is that like a will, it can be changed anytime. Um, and the person that's acting on your behalf is also a fiduciary, much the same that an attorney or an accountant is your fiduciary they can only act in your best interests. 
So there are times where people are fearful that somebody else may have access to bank accounts um, or other financial information, but ultimately that person could go to jail if they were not acting in your best interests. The next document I want to talk about is a healthcare proxy. That, like a power of attorney, is valid during your lifetime. So upon your passing, both the healthcare proxy and power of attorney go away, and the will is what governs from that point going forward. A healthcare proxy, like a power of attorney, appoints an agent to make not financial decisions, but medical decisions on your behalf. A healthcare proxy will only come into play when you are determined to be unable to make your own healthcare decisions. So if somebody was in a coma, for example, or if they had a cognitive impairment where they were deemed to be incapacitated and unable to make their own medical decisions, a healthcare proxy is what would be incredibly important to have to ensure that your wishes, whether you wanted to be kept on life support, whether you wanted a feeding tube, or even sometimes religious considerations that come into effect were being honored. Um, the way to do that is to have a healthcare proxy in place. And finally, a little bit of a lesser known document and one that's not necessarily used in all states anymore is a living will. Um, and that document is similar to a healthcare proxy, but really focuses more on how you wanted to be treated in certain medical circumstances. So depending on your state law, this document may permit you to express whether you wish to be given certain life-sustaining treatments in the event you are terminally ill or injured um, to decide in advance whether you want to be provided with food and water um, via certain devices such as a feeding tube um, and to give other medical directions that impact your care including the end of life. So again, it's a similar document to a healthcare proxy, but each state has a little bit of a different nuance to each of these documents. So it's really important not only to have these documents, if nothing else, but to make sure you're consulting with a good lawyer in your state or your area that can help make sure that the documents not only are being drafted in accordance with state law, but that they're truly outlining what your wishes are upon a traumatic life event or at your passing. Oh, Don, thank you for explaining these basic documents for our listeners. There's so much to understand and you really helped to just outline some of the key points of these, uh, the wills and power of attorney and healthcare proxy and, and so forth. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. And I was wondering, so when do these documents, when do they really, are they important and when do they apply? And most importantly, in what situations may they not apply? Sure. So that's a that's a great question. And, you know, generally speaking, estate plan documents are always important because no one has a crystal ball. When people come into our law office, for example, we always sort of joke with them and say, if you told us how long you were going to live, what you were going to die from, and what you were going to need to live off of for the rest of your life, we could write the perfect estate plan. However, as everyone listening knows, no one knows the answers to those questions. So it's always sort of important to prepare for the worst case scenario and hope that maybe you don't need all of these documents. So in terms of the specific documents, I always tell clients that the will is the document that is the most important when you pass away, because that is the document that dictates 
how your property is distributed when you pass away. Dying without a will, or what's known as dying intestate, automatically means that your property will be distributed in accordance with state law. The tricky part there is every state has different laws with respect to how your property gets passed without a will. So let's say, for example, you were married and you had three children, but you were estranged from two of them. In New York State, for example, those two children are still going to receive part of your estate. That's why it's critical to have a will so you can truly outline where you want and how you want your property to be distributed after you pass away. Additionally, wills do not have any meaning or validity while you are alive. Oftentimes, we hear clients confuse their right as an executor under the will. And if you recall, that's the person who's responsible for administering your estate. Sometimes people think, well, if they're the executor, they have some sort of power over mom or dad, for example, while they're alive. No authority under a will or wishes under a will matter until a person passes away. A power of attorney, healthcare proxy, and living will are the documents that are important while you're alive and become especially critical when you are no longer able to make decisions on your own or simply require assistance making decisions. By not having these documents, your loved ones may be forced to go to court, spend a lot of money, and seek guardianship or conservatorship powers, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, over you when you're no longer able to manage your own affairs. Uh, again, this can cost literally thousands upon thousands of dollars to go that way when you could spend a couple of hundred dollars now to draft these documents and to ensure that your wishes are being met. I would say, Cheryl, the most common mistake people make when it comes to healthcare proxies and powers of attorney is confusing the documents with each other. Many people, for example, think that a healthcare proxy gives them the right to help with their parents' finances, while others think that a power of attorney allows them to attend their parents' medical appointments. The easiest way to think about this is that a healthcare proxy governs your body, right? Everything to do with you as a human being, medically, uh, doctor's appointments, medications, uh, electing to take a surgery or not, that's what a healthcare proxy helps with. A power of attorney, on the other hand, governs everything else, your home, your insurances, your investments, your bank accounts. As a, you know, For example, as it pertains to senior living, many believe that a power of attorney or healthcare proxy or both will allow someone to, you know, quote, nudge mom or dad into a senior living community. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and a, a misconception of both these documents is that they could take mom and dad and drop them off at a senior living community. Unfortunately, that's simply not the case, and that's something that would have to be addressed to the court if you felt that mom or dad were unsafe at home and needed to go to a higher level of care, and they simply refused to do so. Don, this really helps to kind of demystify and outline some of these important documents. And I was wondering, are there other legal documents or issues that one should consider, especially as one ages and also for their family and caregivers? Absolutely. You know, so what we sort of went through earlier is a basic estate plan. Um, those, you know, if you're looking at, hey, I need to do something, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. 
will, power of attorney, and healthcare proxy are the three most critical things you can have. And most attorneys, frankly, will charge a flat fee or a package fee to do those documents for you. Um, however, as I also mentioned earlier, estate plans can become very uh, complex depending on your financial need, your health conditions, um, you know, other sort of outside factors that might require you to go a little bit beyond um, those three basic documents. For example, trust can be a very useful tool in uh, managing your estate plan. And trusts are essentially pretty complicated documents that protect your property um, and are outlined in a very uh, legal, not a user-friendly document, I joke with clients, that really outline how you want property managed both during your life and, and how you want it passed at your death. These can be revocable, meaning you can change them anytime. They can be irrevocable, meaning you can't change them or you may only be able to change them through court intervention. And they have all sorts of different intentions. Um, and again, this varies state by state, but in New York, for example, Certain property can be protected from Medicaid if it meets certain thresholds and requirements, and that property would be put into an irrevocable trust. Some people may not be concerned with Medicaid if they've got too much money, but they want to protect that property from creditors. They don't want it to go through probate, and they want to shield it from the outside world and just have it passed to their beneficiaries. They might do a revocable trust. Again, these are very complex legal documents there's a lot of legal and tax nuances. And if this is something you think you might need, highly, highly recommend to consult with a lawyer, also potentially an accountant or tax professional to make sure that it's being structured in the way that it's most beneficial to you and your loved ones. And again, Cheryl, that's a topic we could spend an entire day talking about. Um, another life uh, excuse me, estate planning tool is a life estate deed. This can be a much less expensive option to a trust if your goal is to protect your house from Medicaid, for example. In New York State, a life estate deed involves essentially the owner of the house, so say mom and dad, deeding the house to their two children, but they reserve a life estate, which means they have the legal right to occupy their house until their death. So as far as the outside world is concerned, mom and dad still own the house, they pay the mortgage or line of credit if there's one, insurance is in their name, taxes are in their name. But essentially, at their passing, that house automatically goes to their children outside of passing through a probate estate. So this can save some time and money um, at the end. There's some nuances here as well, that if you, mom and dad, decide you want to sell the property and one of your children decides not to deed the property back, there can be implications there. Additionally, from a Medicaid standpoint in New York State, for example, if that house is in the life estate deed for five years, upon the completion of five years, it's now protected from Medicaid. Again, this is a complex planning tool and you are highly encouraged to speak to your local uh, area attorneys uh, in your state to help advise if that might be the right tool for you. Additionally, you also sometimes hear the term MOLST or DNR. MOLST are medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. 
um, and are often executed in hospitals by individuals who are receiving end-of-life care um, for chronic or other serious illnesses. And they may decide they don't want to receive um, a feeding tube or a life support machine. Uh, you also may hear the term DNRs or do not resuscitate forms. These also are used to prevent uh, medical professionals from administering certain life-saving treatments or end-of-life treatments that you might otherwise have available to you. So again, these forms vary from state to state. Um, we always joke that you wish there was just one form that captured all of this, but in New York State, for example, there's healthcare proxies, living wills, most DNRs. So if this is something that you're thinking about or you know that you've got chronic illnesses or you unfortunately have a terminal illness, I would highly recommend you talk to your medical professionals and or your attorneys to discuss whether these documents would be relevant for you um, to make sure that your final wishes are being captured. Finally, um, I think a, a, a short discussion on guardianships and conservatorships is probably warranted. Um, partially to educate folks out there as to what these terms are and what they mean, but more importantly, to encourage people to get an estate plan completed to hopefully avoid having to revisit these issues. If somebody has their legal documents in place, such as a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney, well, it's highly unlikely that you'll ever have to encounter a guardianship or a conservatorship. It is still, it is still possible that um, you may run into this at some point for either yourself or a loved one down the road if their condition becomes to a point where they need further court intervention or possibly the agent under those documents is no longer either alive or acting the way they should be, um, then this is uh, an area that you may unfortunately have to become familiar with. And guardianships and conservatorships really mean the same thing at the end of the day, but depending on what state you're in, um, they may have both, they may have one or the other, one may have certain powers and the other may have certain powers, but ultimately a guardianship or a conservatorship is when a court comes in and essentially takes control over a person's either healthcare decisions or financial decisions or both. It's a very, very expensive process. A lot of lawyers get involved because they're appointed from the courts to interview people, help the court come to a final decision. And it's really, unfortunately, a pretty expensive process. Again, one of the best ways to avoid having to encounter a guardianship or a conservatorship is to make sure you've got those estate documents in place to make sure a court knows, hey, when you were capacitated, when you were able to make your own decisions, this is who you wanted to help you and take that power out of the court or some unknown third party to decide who should make decisions on your behalf. Don, I know this is a good deal of information. However, you've really highlighted it's so important to have that estate plan in place. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a situation when you've helped a family who did not have an estate plan. Sure, Cheryl. And unfortunately, I could spend a couple of hours sharing examples on this. And, you know, I always joke with my neighbors that when I talk to them about estate plans and they're they're younger, you know, they're in their 40s, have younger children. And I think a lot of times people look at attorneys like, hey, we're just trying to 
hawk more business from somebody. And to be honest, most simple estate plans are relatively inexpensive. And this is not an area where attorneys necessarily make a ton of money, but it's such an important thing to have because if you don't, you just went from a few hundred dollars to possibly several thousand dollars. And let me give you an example of that. You know, one of the things we see uh, most commonly is when mom or dad uh, has dementia or some other cognitive impairment and they were functioning okay for a while and they were still maybe able to manage somewhat independently and maybe that uh, slips away over time, but that, you know, ultimately we get to a place where mom or dad has no capacity anymore to make any decisions on their own. And you know, as an attorney, that mom or dad clearly needs help managing their financial affairs or their healthcare decisions. But if it's determined that mom or dad no longer have capacity, um, and in New York State, that's usually done by a finding of two medical uh, doctors or, or other professionals. Um, at that point, the children are forced to avail themselves of a guardianship proceeding. And we just kind of briefly covered that a few minutes ago. But as I mentioned earlier, a guardianship proceeding, you know, we tell clients at a minimum, you're usually planning for anywhere from $5,000 to $15,000, depending on, on if it's going to be a contentious guardianship. So at that point, you have to file a petition, a court or a judge gets appointed, the judge then appoints a lawyer to represent mom or dad, a judge appoints a lawyer to serve as sort of a third party neutral or court evaluator who does a thorough investigation, reviews medical notes, reviews financial documents, interviews family members and friends, doctors. It's a very exhaustive and unfortunately expensive process. So then what happens is, well, this is all pending or in proceeding through the courts, oftentimes mom or dad have immediate needs. Um, or, you know, the time it takes to hire a lawyer and draft the papers and get it filed, that's taking away critical days or sometimes hours that mom or dad need help. So it's really, again, I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record, but it's really important while mom and dad um, or uncle or aunt or brother or sister, whoever has these documents in place, because unfortunately, well, lawyers, we like to pat ourselves on the back, back and think that we can solve any problems. When it comes to incapacity and not having legal documents, unfortunately, a lot of times there's very limited things we can do to sort of provide immediate help to a family. Yeah. So Don, in your experience, what are just a few of those estate planning myths that our listeners may have heard and that you have to debunk Quite often. I think I could probably come up with a hundred, but let me just mention a few that I think are the most common. Um, the biggest one for me is, well, I'm in my 30s or 40s and I'm going to live to be 90. What do I care about a will today? What do I care about a power of attorney? I go to the gym seven days a week. I run every day. I'm in great health. Well, again, going back to the crystal ball example from earlier, we have no idea what's going to happen to us when. 
a lot of people think I need to be close to retirement. I need to be in my 70s. That unfortunately is just not the case. If you own property, you should have an estate plan. If you're married, you should have an estate plan. If you have children, you should have an estate plan. A lot of times people don't think about, you know, I have young kids. So if something happens to me and my wife at the same time, you know, while our in-laws may all get along, you better believe they're all going to be fighting over control of the kids. The only way to prevent that is to decide where you as mom and dad or partner and spouse want your kids going is to outline that in an estate plan. Other people think that they don't have enough money to do an estate plan, that estate planning is something for the uber wealthy, for sports owners, for CEOs. Again, whether you've got $5 in the bank or you've got $5 million in the bank, an estate plan is the only way to ensure that whether you're alive or when you pass, that your wishes are being met. The other, uh, another big one that I see all the time is, well, can I just go online and find these forms? I actually had a client come in this week with a will that he had done through a package he bought at um, an unnamed uh, office supply store. And unfortunately, well, those documents are, are for sale and you see documents like that online all the time, the nuances in the state law are so particular that oftentimes those packages are sold the same in every state. Um, so it's, you know, I know for some people that might be what they feel like is the only thing they can do when they want to have something. Unfortunately, if it doesn't comply with state law, it's not going to be worth uh, the cost of the paper that it was printed on. Um, another thing uh, I would mention that uh, you hear a lot of people uh, say is that, well, I did one years ago. Why do I need another one? Well, it's not that you need another one, but an estate plan is something that you really should be looking at every three to five years. People unfortunately pass away before you do. A beneficiary that you had in the will, um, you know, let's say it was a niece. Well, the niece ends up getting divorced um, or is in a bad marriage and you want to make sure that her husband doesn't take anything, you may need to change your will. Or if you became estranged from a son or a, a niece or a nephew or a daughter that were your power of attorney, well, you may want to change that to make sure somebody else uh, has control to help you with those situations. Um, and finally, the last one is the, the biggest misconception with respect to an estate plan is well, it only matters when I die and I don't have a lot of property. Well, the problem there is that a lot can happen while you are alive. And the power of attorney and healthcare proxy, again, are critical parts of the estate plan and they have nothing to do with what happens to you when you pass away. So again, um, we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about uh, different myths, but in my opinion, sort of thinking about, I don't have enough money, I'm too young, I can get these forms online or in a store, and it only matters what happens when I die. Unfortunately, those are all false, and those can easily be debunked by any attorney or any financial professional.
So what are a few tips to start the conversation with your loved one? There's so much to discuss, it sounds like. There there really is. And I think if I had the perfect blueprint for this conversation, I'd be a millionaire. Unfortunately, this is an area that even the most seasoned uh, estate planning and elder law attorneys, the the people that younger attorneys like me have learned from um, and have watched struggle with. Um, and also in, in running a senior care business, we have to have these difficult conversations with respect to possibly moving out of the house. When you're talking to your senior loved ones and you're talking about a loss of independence, you're talking about, you know, what's going to happen when you pass away. Can you stay in your home anymore? These have to be some of the most emotional and difficult conversations somebody can have in their lifetime. Um, Our older loved ones, besides being some of the most loyal and hardworking individuals that our country has ever known, um, and in my opinion, that generation is just never going to be replaced, they've unfortunately been a very easy target for financial crimes and other elder abuse. And oftentimes when it comes to having this discussion, there is a lack of trust from seniors. And in my opinion, frankly, it's really not that unwarranted. Um, However, talking about estate planning with your parents or your uncle and aunt, if you're taking care of them um, or or your siblings, frankly, um, is something that is critically important. And family members should have these conversations openly, honestly, and frequently to better prepare for the financial future and well-being of all involved. And again, as I've stated earlier, there is no perfect playbook because every senior and their family and their situation is wholly unique. Here are some suggestions that I would offer on how to start that conversation. First, find an appropriate time and place. You know, find a place where your senior loved ones or or other loved ones that aren't seniors that you want to talk to about estate planning are comfortable. So for example, their home where they're most comfortable versus a coffee shop or someplace they've never been before. Um, Don't wait. You know, there's never a perfect time because no one knows when something will happen. Um, Again, sort of rip that Band-Aid off and try to get the conversation scheduled. Um, Be inclusive. Um, You know, try to include all family members to the extent that that's possible. Um, I know every family dynamic is different. Um, and in both businesses, I've been in the middle of a, of, a, of warring factions on different sides of a conference room table. But you want to make sure that to the extent possible, everyone's on the same page. So somebody doesn't come back down the road and derail your efforts or try to change mom and dad's uh, position on something. Um, see if they've done anything so far. Um, oftentimes we meet clients that you know, we're in a union, for example, and had free legal services and years ago did a will and they come in and it's great. Nothing's changed. The people in it are still alive and we don't need to do anything with that. So sometimes instead of thinking you're at ground zero, you may be a little bit further along in the process than you initially planned for. Um, again, it's not just about afterlife. Remember, powers of attorney and healthcare proxies are just as important especially as our loved ones are aging or you start to see a decline in their health. Um, Again, without threatening, let them know that if these documents aren't in place, the state or a court 
or both may dictate what happens. And we know in our experience that a lot of seniors are not trusting of the government, no matter what political party you're affiliated with. And sometimes that can be the tool that helps get them across the finish line that they don't want the government or big brother coming in, telling somebody how their property should be dispersed or who controls their affairs if they can't. So that can be a good tool. Additionally, I would also look at setting some long-term goals together. You know, maybe try to look at this in increments, not, hey, we got to blow this whole thing up at once. Take it in, in some steps. And then finally, not to toot my own horn, but consider using a third-party professional. And this doesn't need to be a lawyer. This could be a financial planner, an accountant, somebody that mom or dad has trusted throughout their life to help facilitate that discussion. So again, unfortunately, there's really no perfect, you know, here's the seven steps. And if you follow these, you're going to be great. It fluctuates, it changes. You sort of have to, um, you know, as the Marines say, improvise, overcome and adapt. It's going to change. Things are going to change. But the important thing is that you undertake the effort to get it started. Well, Don, you're so right. It is important to not wait to start to have this important conversation and process. So I was wondering, can you share a few thoughts about hiring an attorney, a trusted advisor, and the typical process that happens with the documents and costs and so forth? This is an area I don't want to be biased, of course, right, as an attorney, but I'm going to give you my my candid advice that I would tell anybody. You know, essentially, when you're hiring an attorney to do an estate plan, you should really concentrate on attorneys that specialize in estate planning um, or elder law, you'll sometimes see, or even Medicaid planning, especially if you know mom or dad may need um, a higher level of care at some point in the future. You know, oftentimes you'll find attorneys um, dabble in the practice of estate planning because a lot of these forms become sort of routine um, and some more generous attorneys look at this as an easy pickup for legal work. However, I would only recommend when you're doing an estate plan that you look to attorneys that specialize in these areas of the law. And, you know, if you're computer tech savvy, a simple Google search with the name of the city you live in or the town, and then add estate planning attorneys or elder law attorneys should yield you a lot of results. You know, if you're um, an individual, um, you know, maybe a lower middle income individual and you don't have a lot um, of property or assets that are going to be passed on after your uh, passing, you know, you should be looking at a smaller law firm, um, you know, maybe a you know, two to 10 lawyer firm that's going to probably be more reasonably priced and better geared towards the type of work you need. Now, if you're an individual of high of um, high wealth or a lot of wealth and um, a lot of property or you own a lot of businesses, you're probably going to want to go to a more medium sized to larger law firm that might have attorneys that are more focused in tax planning that would be used in conjunction with your generic estate planning. If you're unable to use Google, um, and there's some of you out there may not be as tech savvy, one of the things I always suggest is to call your local county bar association. So for example, here in Buffalo, New York, it would be the Erie County Bar Association. They can be a great resource um, in any county bar association to provide you with a list of attorneys out there 
that not only estate planning, but frankly, any practice area that you ever might be looking for an attorney. Now, there may be some of you out there thinking that, you know what, this all sounds great and I could really use this, but I don't have the money to pay for an attorney um, or that, you know, I really want to get an estate plan, but this sounds really expensive and I'm on a fixed budget. Well, the good news for you folks is that there are resources available for individuals that don't have money to do their own estate plan. You know, in our county, for example, we have several legal resources available that cater to seniors and or low-income individuals that will help provide free estate planning legal services. Again, I would highly recommend call your local county bar association and let them know, hey, do you have any free legal resources available. There's always attorneys out there um, that work for these free legal resources or that will do this work um, at no charge. And so once you've located an attorney or you've talked to a few and you've picked the one you like, you'll usually set up an in-person meeting to discuss your current situation, wishes, concerns, etc. I would always recommend asking up front if that initial meeting is a courtesy consultation or if there's a fee associated with that meeting. And that way, you know, if you're going in and you're kind of rambling on and you've got a shoebox full of stuff and you're just handing it to the lawyer to go through, it's always better to know up front is the meter running or is this just to kind of figure out a strategy going forward? I would also ask the attorney you know, do they bill hourly for this work or do they charge a flat fee or a package fee to do the estate planning documents? Again, this will help you budget for this legal work. After the attorney is comfortable with your wishes and you feel like you've properly conveyed what you want to have happen, the attorney will prepare the documents. They'll either send them over to you or have you come in to review them with you. You'll make any changes you need to make. And once everything looks good, you come in and sign and you are done. So every state and county is different with respect to how those originals are handled once you're done. Some documents can be filed with the county courts or the county clerk's offices. Some attorneys hold on to originals and provide you copies or other times documents are provided to clients. For our clients, for example, we file all of the original wills with the county clerk's office to ensure that they're preserved forever. And then they take their original powers of attorney and healthcare proxies and we keep a copy. Sometimes it's just a client's preference, but again, that's an easy discussion with your attorney while you're meeting with him or her. The good news is, however, that this entire process usually can only take a couple of weeks. Again, of course, assuming it's not overly complex and it's pretty painless. I know nobody likes writing that check to lawyers. And as a business owner, I have to write checks to lawyers. And believe me, it's one of my least favorite parts of running a business. However, it's really such an important thing for not only you, but you've got to remember it's your family, your children, or your spouse that are going to have to deal with all of these things. So it's really a selfless act to ensure that those you care the most about are prepared to act in a crisis situation or ensure that all of the things that you've worked hard for in your life are distributed the way that you want them. And honestly, 
the amount of relief we see from individuals, couples, and families when this process is done is pretty overwhelming. It can sometimes take weeks or months to get everyone on the tape to the table. And, you know, it can be infighting among family members to get to the finish line. And it can be a lot of time to gain the trust of those seniors who are working through letting go of the reins. But when it's done, everyone involved knows that the family is in a better place than they were before they came into the office to sign everything. So again, I highly, highly, highly encourage you out there listening. Talk to an attorney in your area if you don't already have one. Call your local county bar association. Take the time. Sit down with your family. Have these difficult conversations because you know you're going to be in such a better place at the end once you get it done. Well, thank you, Don, for sharing these tips and ideas where to start. You're very welcome, Cheryl. Well, if anybody has questions, where should they, can they reach out to you or where should they contact? Absolutely. So again, of course, I can't answer questions specific to your state, but if you just are looking for some guidance on, you know, where to turn to, or you say, hey, I'm in this county, I can't figure out where those free resources might be, I would be happy to help sort of guide you in the right direction. Um, You can reach out to me um, by email at D. Lewinsky, so D L E W I N S K I at Care Patrol, C A R E P A T as in Tom, R O L dot com, D Lewinsky at Care Patrol dot com, or you can contact me at 716 463 2966. Again, that's 716 463 2966. And it's been my absolute pleasure to share this information with you, Cheryl, and all of your listeners. Thank you, Don, for sharing your insight on the importance of estate planning. To view resources, show notes, and access more MyCare Advisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this quote from Thomas Jefferson. Never put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.